unstoppable kick-ass confidence. Are you ready? Welcome to the Raw and Unscripted Show with Christopher Roush, where we help you overcome your self-created crap without the self-help fluffy bullshit. Now please welcome our host, Christopher Roush. And please welcome our host, Christopher Roush. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to the Unfiltered Experience. I am Christopher Roush, your host, the No Excuses Coach, and we are here to help you guys overcome your self-created crap without the self-help fluffy bullshit. Ladies and gentlemen, 7 p.m. Tuesday nights, every single week, we are here to rock your mindset, to get you guys to have unlimited self-confidence and really just to be empowered to live your life congruently, authentically, and of course, kick-ass unstoppably unstoppably. So ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, this is a weird show for me tonight uh, because truth be told over the weekend, my Facebook uh, account got hacked. And if you guys know, obviously you've been following the show. Uh, we streamed to Facebook, we streamed to three different pages there. Also one of the groups and then on LinkedIn and then also on YouTube. So tonight I hope you guys are enjoying or joining me from uh, YouTube or from LinkedIn because my Facebook account is blocked. So um, hopefully we will see you, your beautiful faces here. But anyways, um, yeah, uh, so I wanted to share that with you. Also, uh, what's up? We got Lauren Michaels Harris in the house. Dude, I was just talking about you today. I was actually just booking my flight to Chicago. So thank you for joining me. Um, I was actually going to send you a message, but uh, my Facebook account is closed. So I'll be doing that here uh, tomorrow. But thank you, Lauren Michaels Harris, for joining me. I'm looking forward to the Power We Symposium uh, April 28th in Chicago. Uh, so I'm too, super excited for that, impacting the youth of America. So thank you for inviting me to that. I appreciate that. And ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, of course, you know that uh, I am on the board of directors for Help Heal Humanity. And I uh, just want to do a little plug there right there. If you guys are joining us brand new, helphealhumanity.org is one of the most amazing organizations, nonprofit organizations. And one of the reasons why I joined the board of directors with that organization is because of Serena Buffalino, the founder, the organizer, the CEO, her mentality, her tenacity, her drive to truly help heal humanity is absolutely awe-inspiring. So it's one of the reasons why I got uh, involved with the organization. And just I'm happy to invite you guys, wherever it is in your journey, if you would like to particularly uh, volunteer for the board of directors, we have a couple of positions open. If you want to volunteer in other capacities, I invite you to go to helphealhumanity.org. Check out the volunteer tab. Check out what we got going on. Um, it's an amazing organization. We've done work in Haiti. We built schools in Haiti. We're doing work in Spain. Uh, we're feeding the homeless in Canada. And of course, we're doing programs here in the United States. So if that feels like it's being called for you, uh, feel free to check out that link. And then if you want a uh, private message me, and I'm happy to sit down with you for an hour or so and, and talk about what the organization is doing and how it is that you can develop and use your skills and techniques in there to be able to help us uh, help heal humanity. So appreciate you guys. We got uh, Zoe in the house. What's up, Zoe? She says, good to see you, Christopher. Uh, thank you so much for being here. It's been a minute since I've seen you. We got Jacqueline Rose in the house. She says, hello, Christopher, ready to rock and roll with good topics. Absolutely, absolutely. And my brother, Lauren, and posts up here. Yes, absolutely. Check it out. For you, those of you guys listening on the podcast, uh, www.powerofwesymposium.com. Magical event. Uh, Lauren Michaels Harris has been doing this for a number of years, and it's super impactful. It's one of the reasons why I got on board. It's all about helping the youth of America. So um, together we can stand and set an example for them. And that day is going to be absolutely impactful with the kids walking red carpets, um, seeing amazing speakers and just having a great opportunity to expand the horizons and be uh, a part of something huge. Um, so yes, go check it out, the Power We Symposium. We got Lee in the house. What's up, Lee? He says, what's up, brother? Thank you, man, for posting that on Facebook. I appreciate you. 
We got Robert in the house. It's so funny. Robert's in the house, but uh, your YouTube name is Believe in Yourself, which I love. And he says, hi, Christopher. I have turned Facebook um, now watching you on YouTube, but the YouTube is behind a little bit. Yeah, it might be a little behind, but uh, anyways, the, the information is going to be impactful as always. And I'm excited for uh, the guest tonight. I've actually known my guest for, geez, uh, probably close to 10 years at least. Um, we met uh, some number of years ago at uh, an inspirational event, and then uh, we had the opportunity to uh, to do some podcasts together. He's been on my podcast. I've been on his podcast. And Bob has just been an amazing soul in my life because he said something once upon a time that he's very well known for. And we're going to dive into this in a little bit, but he says, when it becomes acceptable, it becomes inevitable. Think about that. When it becomes acceptable, it com becomes ine inevitable. And with that, uh, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the Ron and Scripted Show, Mr. Bob Donnell. Bob, hey. what's going on, brother? It's great hey, to see brother. you tonight. Ah, thank you. Thank you for the invite. You are most welcome. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Right now, looking at the sunset in Central, Central Coast, California, and uh, it's beautiful. Oh, that's my, I was just telling you before we went on camera, the favorite spot of mine, we go up to Pismo, Santa Maria, Santa Cruz, um, all those places just absolutely, that's our intention is to move up there and do what you're doing and seeing the sunset. Love it. Love it. It's gorgeous. Yes. Yes. Um, let's, let's see. Uh, 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 Rob, I'm so used to calling him Robert. Robert says, Bob Donnell does rock fully. So you've got, you've already got You've got a fan in the house oh, with Robert. Um, so yes, thank you for being here, Robert. Uh, appreciate you guys. So Bob, let me pause for a second because I have so many questions to ask you that have popped into my mind since we just talked before we went on camera for you and for what the world has been through in the last couple of years with COVID and everything else, uh, racial divides, political divides, vaccine divides, a lot of stuff is going on in the world. What has the last two years meant for you personally and for what you see in society? Yeah, you know, I think what it means to me is um, that we all get to uh, dig our our heels in a little bit deeper, and uh, and really stand for something. And and I think if I'm going to pick anything to stand for right now, it's the betterment of humanity. And um, so whatever that means to you, uh, and I think you know a lot of times, like you say, the divide, all this stuff. You know, the the divide only works if you let them divide you. Um, I don't have a problem with anyone who vaccinates, doesn't vaccinate. I don't have a problem with anybody who believes in COVID, doesn't believe. I, I don't care. Bottom yeah. line is we're all human beings and I love each and every one of you. It doesn't matter. It's not dependent on what you, whether you agree with me or whether I agree with you. Uh, so I think it really just gives us a, an opportunity to go, you know, this is what I believe in. I believe in the betterment of humanity and I'm going to be a part of the solutions to the problems that are going on rather than focusing on the problems that are happening. Love it. I love it. So what has it meant for you and some of your relationships? Cause I know me personally, I'm the same way. That's what I've said to people. I all my social media posts are like, Hey, wherever you stand, I'm here for you, wherever you're suffering and whatnot. But I've also had some people that, uh, I have no longer have in my life because they didn't like the fact that I was not taking a stand. I actually had somebody call me out and said, Chris, you're so outspoken. You have these platforms, you have these shows. Why aren't you, you know, taking a stand? Why aren't you putting your, your, and I'm like, you know what? And, and they actually ended it with like, what are you teaching your son? And I, I sat there and I thought about it and I'm like, wow, you know, that's a really good question. I'm like, hmm, what am I teaching my son? I'm like, you know what I want to teach my son? I want to teach my son that there's always going to be differences of differences of opinions. There's always going to be that aspect of life. And that for me personally, in my journey, I have learned that when you are able to be a bridge to those differing 
uh, opinions that, you know, whatever one is right or wrong, quote unquote, right or wrong, because there is no right or wrong. And it's just a belief. Um, I want to be there for them when they are on the, they're on the downside or whatever it is. So for example, I tell people like, you know, if you believed in Trump and thought Trump was the end all be all, and you find out later on that he's not, I want to be there for those people. If he's the end all be all and everybody else thought this, I want to be there for those people. I want to build that bridge. Um, what has it been like for you? Have you had any of those situations where people have just like, okay, Bob, I can't deal with the way you think I'm just going to go off into my own little part of the world. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think that that's one of the, one of the interesting things that comes out of this is, um, for, for me, my, um, my ability to love, um, them is not dependent on whether they love me back or not. Mm, uh, my, my depend, my ability to, to care about their betterment and, and the best for them is not dependent on whether they do that same thing for me. Now they get a vote. They get a vote in the, in the, in the matter as well. Um, just because I'm willing to love them and care for them and be there for them does not mean they're going to be there the same for me. But it's kind of like when I was when I was growing up, I was raised by a single mom. And I remember my mom when I was when I was a um, little kid teaching me to open the door for people and especially women. You know, she'd say open the door for all women. And I remember one day um, as I was growing up, uh, as I got older, I opened the door for a woman and she just walked by me like on her phone and just like walked by. I didn't even make eye contact, just walked through the door that I had opened for her and she just walked through. And I remember thinking, that blank, blank, blank. And I was upset. I was frustrated. I was like, right. why did she even acknowledge me? I wasn't expecting a hello or thank you, but at least an acknowledgement. And I remember being upset. And then I remember sitting down as I coached myself sometimes, sat down and said, what really upset you about that? And I'm like, she didn't say thank you. And I'm saying, so did I open the door because I wanted thank you or acknowledgement or did I open the door because it was right? Mm. And I said, you know what? You need to just settle your horses and say, I did it because it was right. I did it because it was, that's the way I was raised. Yeah. And I did it because it was right. And therefore how she responds is none of my business. It doesn't matter. Ooh, I love that. I love that. One of the things I've been doing a lot, Bob, is asking myself, and this is uh, through my coach. Actually, it was funny. We know, we both know Sally Anderson. Sure. And it was so funny because it was Lots ironic. She said, she posted something about you on LinkedIn, I think a couple of days ago. And I said, oh, how, what a, oh, I said, how funny. I said, Bob's going to be on the show on Tuesday. I actually have a meeting with her tomorrow. Oh, um, and when I think about when I was coaching with her, she asked me, she uh, gave me a, a perfect question to ask. She goes, what am I making this to mean about me? Like if I'm getting frustrated in a situation, like especially when I was in corporate, what am I making this to mean about me? And then dive into that. And that has been so crucial for me to realize a lot of it has nothing to do with me, right. but yet I used to take things so personal and then be frustrated when people weren't meeting my expectations. Cause I'm like, well, I held the door and I had the same thing. It's like, you know, I say hi to people all the time. I always wave to people and say hi. And I find lately I've been like, or not, you know, like I'll say hi, good morning. And they'll just be like, mm. Like, you know, cause I know I look a little intimidating sometimes I'm like, or not. And I find myself getting a little pissed off. The guy couldn't even say hello, but then I go, what am I making this to mean about me? And that has been such a, 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 a brilliant point for me to, to recognize that. What are your thoughts on that in your own personal uh, story of, 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 of that? You statement? know, I, I, th I think one of the next level pillars, you know, the name of my company is everything next level. And so it's really based on these pillars and I've got over 130 of these pillars, but one of the next level pillars says, um, unfulfilled expectations lead to anger, bitterness, resentment, frustration, and overwhelm. Let me say that again. Unfulfilled expectations lead to anger, bitterness, resentment, frustration, and overwhelm. So anytime that I find myself getting upset, anytime that I start, you know, being frustrated or overwhelmed or, or anything, any one of those emotions, all I have to do is look and say, 
what was I expecting that didn't happen? And that unfulfilled expectation. Now I can say that was an unrealistic, uh, unrealistic expectation. Or I might have said, you know, considering the source, I should have I should have expected something different. Um, or I can say, you know, I'm going to I'm going to hold to the boundaries that I have for my life, but I'm still going to allow myself to be um, to be in touch enough to say everyone else gets a, a, a vote in the in the, ma in the matter as well. That's it. And I just realized that the the unex unfulfilled expectations are the things that really set us off the most. And, and I love Sally Anderson. I mean, knowing her background as we do, oh, you know. Yeah. You know, if she if she can come up to that level, uh, man, anyone can. And um, but I love I love that uh, that idea that these expectations. What are we expecting that's not happening? And then all we have to do is say, is it really that big of a deal? And why mm -hmm. is it so much to me now versus maybe if it happened at a different time, it wouldn't have meant it wouldn't even meant anything. Right. No, that's so true. You mentioned something right now, Bob, that was uh, very key boundaries. Well, talk to us about that. Uh, Cause I'm finding when I talk to people lately is especially in the last couple of years, especially that people don't have boundaries that they have never really like sat down and really identify what their values are and where their boundaries exist. Talk to us about that journey for yourself and what we can recommend to people to begin establishing some boundaries for themselves. Yeah. You know I mean? Boundaries, uh, again, another next level pillar is boundaries are good for business and for life. They're just good. They're good for. They're just good practice. Um, why do people not have boundaries? Typically, because they're offend. They're afraid they're going to offend somebody if they say no to something, or they're mm -hmm. or they're going to, um, you know, draw a line in the sand. My attitude is: the harder and deeper that I draw the line in the sand, the easier it is for people and for me to say yes and for me to say no. And if I have a boundary that says this is a non-negotiable boundary. Then, um, for example, if I was dating and I only wanted to date brunettes, well, guess what? Blondes, it wouldn't matter. Right. Um, it wouldn't be a, a part of the equation. And I think sometimes when we have this boundary issue, um, it's typically because we've been taught we're not supposed to say no or we're supposed to supposed to do something. And with boundaries for me, it's like um, I make hard and fast non-negotiable boundaries. Uh, and that's what a boundary is. A boundary is an out of bounds. So there is no movement. The line doesn't move. It's right. in bounds or you're out of bounds, period. And so non-negotiable boundaries, I think, are really, really the key. And then really saying, what is this boundary serving? How is it serving me? And then once we understand how it's serving us, then we say, now it's my job to reaffirm that boundary. Just because I have a boundary doesn't mean everyone else has to stay within that boundary. But in my life, they're going to have to stay within the boundary or they're not in my life. Right. So how did you get to that point in your life to be able to say that? Because I know you're exactly right where it, like for me, people pleaser, you know, you want to do everything for everybody else. That's something that I struggled with for so, so many years. Didn't want to disappoint anybody. Want to keep everybody happy, keep all the plates spinning and all that other stuff. What has that been like for you as far as being able to set those boundaries and stand by them? You know, I think it goes back to my training and intervention, uh, you know, crisis intervention and suicide prevention when I was 19 and, and running my nonprofit. Uh, I, I think it boiled down to where I said, um, I had to convince myself that the boundary was actually good for them. Good for if them. We, if we yeah. believe that it's good for us, that's one thing. But then we go, oh, I'm being selfish. But if we actually believe it's actually good for them, then we have no problem affirming that because we want them to be better. Right. Right. So I think that was the first point was realizing that a boundary is actually good for them. Why? Well, because it's kind of like, you know, when a kid doesn't know what yes is and what no is, they're always going to be testing that, but they're always going to be uncertain yeah. about what's right and what's wrong. 
versus when we tell them and we reaffirm it over and over again, they have absolute certainty that if they do this, they're going to get in trouble. And if they don't, they won't. So, you know, really getting to that point where it's, it's actually good for them to know what that boundary is. Uh, and that might be our client. That might be our children. It might be our friends. It might be our prof professional relationship. But the bottom line is really getting to the point where it's actually good for them to have those boundaries so that they know unequivocally what is acceptable, what is not acceptable. And then we go back to that pillar, whatever becomes acceptable becomes inevitable. Yeah, no, I love that. I have a five-year-old son, as you know, and I have found that I'm like, I, I talk to parents all the time. I'm like, okay, so I want to be his friend. I want to be supportive. I want to be, you know, um, stern and, and, and have the boundaries because I know like what you just said, it's best for him. And so I've had parents tell me like, yeah, you know, it sucks when you have to be hard on them, but everything, but ultimately what are you doing it for? You're not doing it for yourself. You're doing it for them. And right. so I love your, I love it's your point. It's easier just to give in to everything. Mm -hmm. It's easier to, okay, okay, Johnny, okay. I'd be the easy step. Let's let's not we'll look for the easy. Let's right. look for the right. You know, the Larry Broughton, a friend of ours, says the hard right over the easy wrong. Yep. So beautiful. Um, we got Julie. We got Julie in the house. She says, hey there. What's up, ladies, gentlemen, boys and girls? You are here on the Ron and Scripted Show. I am joined tonight by Bob Donnell. When it becomes acceptable, it becomes inevitable. Um, thank you, brother, so much for being here. Uh, Lee says here, oh, wow, I live in Atascadero for two years. Love Central Cali. Beautiful. Uh, appreciate that. Um, so one of the, oh, uh, Robert says here, learning to recognize I need to say no sometimes took a long time to sink in. Amen. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's not easy. You know, yes. Um, that. Um, so one of the things I want you, I would like for you to indulge us with is your personal story. I mean, I remember when I met you and I remember seeing you on stage and that was the first time we had met when we went to uh, Sandra D's event. I think that was one of them and hearing your story and hearing everything. Would you mind uh, telling us a little bit about that? Sure. I can give you the, the quick rundown. Um, we got time. You know, when I was, when I was 15, um, my mom was diagnosed with cancer. She was the only parent I had. Um, didn't know anything about my dad, still don't. Um, and so at 15, I'm told you're going to be an orphan in six months. Mom's going to no longer be here. And I remember thinking, you know, the, the steps of grief, right? Grief. And I said, ah, yeah, that won't happen. So sure enough, six months came and went and she was still here and uh, confirmed my belief that she wasn't going to die. Uh, but two years later, she did end, end up dying. But in between that 15 and 15 and a half, I remember a gentleman walking up to me and saying uh, he was a friend of my mom's. I don't remember who he is, anything. I don't know how, you know, how we became friends. But he walked up to me and said, so, Bob, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I remember thinking, I'm, I'm 15. Why are you asking me this? And so I asked him, why are you asking me this? I'm 15 years old. And he goes, well, because you can learn a product or service or an industry. Or you can drive something or you can learn something that that literally drives every product, service or industry. And I said, well, what's that? And he goes, human behavior. Yeah. If you understand why people do or don't, you can be successful in any product, service or industry. And I said, well, sign me up facetiously joking. Right. <laughs> and he says, well, great. I want you to go back to your school and I want you to become a peer counselor. And I'm like, what does that? You know, OK, OK, well, I'll, I'll look into that. So I get back to school and I'm thinking about it. I'm like, hmm what is a peer counselor? So I, I take on the task of being a peer counselor. So I get some training uh, about counseling and active listening, responsive listening and all these things. And, um, and then I go to a work for another organization uh, as a volunteer, learning it on, on an even deeper level, working with suicide prevention, crisis intervention. And, um, and I, I'm like, wow, okay. If I can learn this 
I can see how it would benefit any product, any service or any industry if I master it, if I just become a great student. And um, so I started doing that. And at 19, um, my mom had already passed away. At 19, I founded a nonprofit organization working with suicide prevention, crisis intervention, and um, working with kids and mostly, mostly with kids, but helping with their parents as well. And that's where I learned boundaries uh, because, you know, it was one thing to have uh, tell a parent, you know, you can't enable your kid to do that. Your kid is walking all over. Your kid is doing drugs in your house. You've told them that it's not acceptable when you keep letting them back in and you have to draw that boundary. Uh, and then I started going, okay, when I become a parent, am I going to be able to do that? Right. Uh, because it's one thing to tell somebody else to do it. It's another thing to, to tell yourself. Right. And mm-hmm. I remember thinking, Hmm, that would be, that would be interesting. And what I started realizing was every time I would give in, whether it was me personally or whether it was on somebody else, what I was doing was allowing them to take a, a knife and cut their wrist mm. because I know that it's bad for them. And when I drew this emotional mental picture that said, every time I acquiesce and just give in, um, I know that I'm doing them damage, not helping them. Uh, what ended up happening was it became very, it's a visceral reaction that if I looked and saw somebody cutting their wrist, there's no way in, in hell that they would be allowed to do that in my presence. Right. And that, that launched me into my, my intervention uh, process, helping people realize how do you intervene for yourself and how do you intervene for those around you that, that are, are making bad decisions? Um, you know, so, so fast forward, you go through that, then, so then my mom dies. Um, like I said, didn't know my dad. Um, then uh, only a father figure that was kind of like um, was a, a family friend. Uh, he died of an overdose. Then I go f- fast forward. I go to um, my uh, my three-year-old daughter is in a car accident that I witnessed because I'm in the car behind them. Uh, and I witness her and pull her out and give her life-saving until the paramedics get there. But she ends up dying. And, um, and then you go fast forward a few more years and my, um, my brother commits suicide, my older brother, who was kind of like a father figure cause he was 10 years older than me. Um, and then, and then the most recent after that was I lost a, a grandchild who died of SIDS that I never even got to meet. And, you know, when you look at that, I, I don't share this to say, please, you know, feel sorry for me. Right. I should say, you know, there's a great, there's a great Bible verse that says the rain falls on the just and the unjust. Look, it doesn't matter how much money you got. Doesn't matter what kind of house, car you drive. It, it, nothing matters. The bottom line is, we're all going to experience tough times. And so, I think one of my messages to people is like, "Hey, look, I, I know what tough times are, and I know you do too. You've had your own tough times. So, mine isn't a comparison. Mine is mm-hmm. to say, me too. Yeah. I, I understand that, and because of that, uh, I want to help people and give people the opportunity to really um, not come out of it." Um, with their, you know, knuckles dragging and, you know, and barely making it, but coming through on the other side, running through the finish line and being excited about the life that they have going forward. And I think that's one of the keys that I've learned in in that whole process of all those things that have happened in my life. You know, I've, I've had multiple businesses. I've had successes. I've had failures. I've had, you know, good relationships. I've had divorce. I've had, you know, high finances and then low finance. I mean, look, we've all gone through it. Yeah. Uh, but why are we trying to kid ourselves that we're not? Uh, and so I just go, look, hey, you, you want you want to know the dirt on me? I'll tell you. You don't even need to go dig for it, man. I'll, I'll just tell you what it is. Because the bottom line is, I think that's more relatable for people yeah. than uh, than the other. Mm. 
dude, thank you so much for, for sharing that. I, I wanted that. I wanted people to get an idea where you've been in order when, as we progress through the conversation, they know where the basis for a lot of your intelligence and a lot of your street smarts is, is rooted in the fact that you've been through those experiences. And what I love about you is the fact that you're open about, Hey, we all have good times, bad times. You know, let's not, let's not put on errors that we've got it all figured out, especially this day and age. You know, you see people doing this and that, and you're like comparing, comparing yourself, but you have no idea what that person is going through on the inner game. Like we talk about the game and, I just have so much respect for you and what you've experienced and, and that you've turned that around and now you help other people, like, like you said, you know, raise themselves up to the next level. Yeah, As part yeah. of what you were saying, you know, really stirred in something into me. And I think about the last couple of years and how many complimentary coaching sessions I've given out. And I started seeing these patterns. Tony Robbins starts, you know, talks about you start seeing patterns. And so I started seeing this pattern, Bob, and I, I started just asking people, it was over Zoom. And I would say, okay, I have a question for you. And I want you to answer the question as quickly as you can without thinking about it, but go with your gut reaction. And they'd be like, okay, what is it? And I just started asking him, like, do you love yourself? Yes or no? Hmm. And I thought when I said it the first time, I thought, honestly thought, I'm like, this is a stupid question. People are going to be like, of course, Chris, I love myself. And I started asking it. The first person I asked, they're like, well, yeah, I think so. You know, for the most part. And from that point on, I just kept asking the question. I was really surprised that 70 to 80% of the people that I talked to over a couple hundred people, 70 to 80% of them really struggle with that component of life. I Talk agree. to us about that. What do you think that what the root reason is, uh, is of that? And if there's people watching right now that have trouble uh, loving themselves, what can we do to share with them the, uh, the process of maybe some empathy and forgiveness for what they've done or what they've been through? Talk to us about that journey. Yeah. You know, as a, as a human behaviorist, um, I am convinced that two of the most detrimental emotions that we have and that we suffer from are guilt and shame. And, um, and so I think mo most of that where they don't feel like they can love themselves, uh, which makes it really hard to love someone else as well, okay. um, it, it kind of stems from guilt and shame. And I, I think that one of the hardest things for, for anyone to help someone else with is to, um, it's one thing for us to set aside our own guilt and shame to try and help somebody else. But then how do we help them uh, okay. if we still are carrying this guilt and shame? And I think one of the hardest, you don't want to become a narcissist either. And yet, you know, we see people go that path and oh. they think, I'm not suffering from guilt and shame. Mm, you are, it's just showing up in a different way. Right. 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 <laughs> uh, and so, you know, for me, I think it's just really a matter of saying, do I really love this person? Do I really care about this person? And then helping them understand that they can be loved um, even when they don't feel lovable and that they can love even when someone else is not lovable. And, um, you know, I think when we when we start helping people and we start reaching out to people, we have to come from that place that um, I'm going to set aside me uh, and, and all the things I want in my life, because I'm going to get those as the byproduct of delivering great value, great service to another human being. Yes. And that's going to be a byproduct. Um, it's kind of like, you know, um, you know, it's like uh, tithing, you know, a great example from the Bible, tithing. Right. Um, you don't give to get. You give with the knowledge that you will get. Yes. Um, and I remember a, a mentor of mine when I was 23, 24 years old, he said, Bobby goes, you know, you, you don't worry about um, giving and getting in the same place. He goes, sometimes you're going to make deposits in the East and you're going to make your withdrawal in the West. He goes, just focus on making the deposits. The withdrawals will come. And uh, that served me well over, the, over all these years. When I've applied it, let me say that. When I've applied <laughs> it, it served right. me very well. But there's been plenty of times that I haven't applied it very well. 
I know. And that's, that's the thing we're talking about. Right? I mean, is, 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 is congruency is that being able to know what's right and what's wrong and being able to apply that in our lives and nobody's perfect. You know, we, I, I believe truly we have to go through those ebbs and flows, those, those valleys and those peaks. And for me, I know in the last couple of years, I've gone through a few valleys when I left corporate, you know, I was asked to leave corporate and after 26 years of making really good money and having a very comfortable job here, I was on the other side of the door going, wow, I did not realize how much of my personality, my ego and everything else and my, my validation was tied up in that corporate space. Yeah. And so being able to go through that valley and be able to spend time with myself, then COVID hits. And then I'm on lockdown with my mother-in-law in my house because she can't go back to Chicago. I've got my five-year-old, four-year-old son at that point, And we're all locked inside this, 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 this cage, if you will, for six weeks, man, it gave me a lot of time to really sit and be quiet and, and listen and, and really kind of go, okay, what's the deeper meaning of all this? What is it that I can do to use this experience to be able to come stronger and then help other people through that experience as well? So yeah. that's one of the things I love about what you're doing. And my next question is, is you've talked to obviously a lot of successful people. I mean, obviously, obviously to me, a lot of successful people with the next level association. What are some things that you see as commonalities with these successful people that we perhaps can help uh, some of the viewers and listeners tonight, you know, find that like, for example, um, I read uh, Robin Sharma's book, the 5am club. And I found out that a lot of successful people get up early and they own that first hour of the day. So talk to us about some of those other commonalities from these successful people that you know, uh, that we can help uh, the, the viewers and the listeners maybe apply in their own lives. Yeah, I think one of the, the key things that I found um, in from successful people, whether it, be, um, whether it be successfully doing things right or successfully doing things wrong. Um, oh, talk to me about that. I believe that there are drug addicts. I believe that there are you know, thieves and criminals and everything else that are doing things wrong, but doing them very, very well. They're very successful at it. Uh, and now the result gives you something different. But I think one of the things is starts right there. The fact if you think that because they're a criminal or because they've gone through a divorce, because they've gone through whatever it is, um, that they're less than you, you're the one suffering the consequence. Uh, and I, I think that's foundational for everyone that I know that has been truly successful and not monetarily, but successful in their life uh, has been that they have been willing to look beyond. I, I think I surround myself with this, this statement. I say, one, I'm so flawed that I'm perfectly flawed. I mean, I'm just so flawed. Love the it. second thing is I surround myself with people who know the very worst about me and believe the very best about me. Oh, dude, that's a quote right there. Say that again. Ooh. I surround myself with people who know the very worst about me and yet believe the very best in me. And um, and really, when you surround yourself with those people, you become that person for others and you begin to champion others that are struggling. Uh, and I think, you know, when when I get to the point where I'm sitting there going, well, you know, why do they do that? why did you do so many stupid bonehead things you did, Bob? I mean, gosh, you're still doing them and you know better and you're still doing them. So, yep. you know, uh, I think that that's the beginning is to realize that, you know, we're, we're all in the same boat. We're all, or we all, I hate that statement. We, we're all doing things that we shouldn't be doing. And the best thing we can do is say, how do I extend grace and mercy to others so that I have grace and mercy extended to myself? There's a great, uh, um, uh, John Maxwell, he says, Lord, help me forgive those who just sin differently than me. Ooh, that's a good one. Oh man. When I heard that, I mean, I was sitting there with my friend Evan money and he shared it with me and I was like, Oh man. Ooh, 
So when we just come to that point, I think that's a beginning foundation. And I think that that leads me to the second part. The second part is you have to have that foundation. You have mm-hmm. to have a foundation. I think, unfortunately, um, what I when I talk about mastering your inner game, your inner game, ha- <clears throat> excuse me, has to be strong enough to support the actions required for the result desired. So if I want to go out and make 50 more sales calls, because I believe it'll be good for my business, I'm going to have to have an inner game that will support making 50 more sales calls, whether it's good, whether it's, you know, whether it's warm, cold, hot, whatever, I'm going to have to have an inner game. If I'm going to become more loving and more kind and more forgiving, I'm going to have to um, have a foundation that allows me to do that. Otherwise I won't ever do it. So the inner game is the foundation. And so when I wrote the book, the inner game, I wrote it when I was living in my car after my daughter died. And I said, if I don't do something, this is going to kick my ass. This is not going to work out very well for me. And uh, I remember that. And I began writing the seven pillars for mastering your inner game and working through that process. And, and I've used it ever since then. So do I know it works? Uh, only yes, because it worked for me. And as I've taught that to people in the military, people with, you know, um, uh, you know, um, terminal illnesses, professional athletes, um, you know, bankers, lawyers, doc- it doesn't matter. Universally, that inner game is the thing that I look and say, there's the common thread for those that succeed and those that don't. Ooh, damn, dude. You talked, you said two things that, that trigger me. So I'm going to try to remember both of the questions. But one of the, one of the questions I want to ask is about empathy, empathy and forgiveness. Um, talk to us about that because what I'm finding is a lot of people are, are holding anger and hostility towards people who are not even alive anymore, people who have been a part of their journey. What can we do to help people with that? Because I know for me, when when I was thinking about my mom, obviously my mom was a huge impact in my life, both positively and negatively, I guess, or constructively if you want. Um, but I when, I when I was so mad at her and frustrated with her when she was still alive, you know, I sat there and I thought, how can I develop empathy and forgiveness and understanding for, for her? You know, instead of having this anger and this animosity towards her and it hit me and I thought, okay, if I went through everything that she went through, if I had all the experiences that she had, might I be like her? Mm. And I thought about it. I'm like, absolutely. And when I came to that realization, Bob, and I started sharing that with other people, it was amazing how many people would sit there and say, you know, I can't have empathy and forgiveness for that person because they did this. But then when I said it in that way, like, imagine if you had been through all their experiences, if they were beaten and abused and we know hurt people, hurt people, might you be like that person? And I saw, I've seen people like, no, no, no. Well, maybe, <laughs> you know, so I, I, for me, I found that's a, that's a breakthrough in, in finding empathy and forgiveness for other people. And as well as for myself, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I definitely agree. And I, I think one of the, um, one of the hardest things for us to do is have empathy for someone who doesn't deserve empathy from us. Oh yeah, And I think when we can, when we can act from a place because we know it's the right thing to do, not because they deserve it. Uh, and we can set that aside, then we can extend empathy without conditions. Uh, and for empathy, you know, you, you bring up, um, you know, what you went through. I had a coaching client of mine that we spent one day, she was an inner circle. We spent one whole day together and we just kind of broke apart her life. And during that day, um, she was telling me about her, her husband that had died and that she just, hated him and he was so mean and he was so rude and he, he was abusive verbally and emotionally and physically and everything and just on and on and on. And I said, great. So wherever you believe he is now, now that he's passed away, um, what do you think he would say to you listening oh, to yes. our conversation? Like listening to our conversation, what do you think he would say? And she just looked at me and she went, 
And the tears started to come in. She goes, she, he, he would say he's sorry. And I said, do you really believe that? You really believe that this asshole of a person that you just described for two hours would literally say he's sorry? And she goes, yeah, he would. And I go, what else would he say? She goes, that he hopes I have a really good life. And that he's so sorry for all the things he did. And I just said, close your eyes and keep talking. And she just closed her eyes and kept talking and just became this emotional cathartic thing for her to be able to, to get off. But the bottom line was we had to get her to the point, And this is where intervention comes in. We had to get her to the point where she could believe something about him that she didn't believe currently. Yes. And when we yes. could get her to that point, she was just like, oh my gosh. Uh, and I said, so based on that, um, he was an asshole. He was a prick. He was, he did, he was absolutely abusive. We're not, we're not negating that, but we're saying, you know, from where he's at now, looking back, he's not the same individual that he was when he was here. Yes. And whether you believe in God, what it doesn't matter. The bottom line is he's in a different place now and he sees things from a different vantage point that he did when he was here. And um, so it was a huge, massive breakthrough. And I think that's one of the things that we can help people with is to help them realize that, you know, perspective is everything yes. and vantage point gives us a better perspective. Um, you know, when my daughter died and I was living in my car, I was thinking, how am I going to get through this? And I remember thinking, I better do something. I got to do something. What can I do? And I remember thinking, well, I better reframe this. I mean, I better put this in a different uh, uh, context than I have for it right now. Cause right now I have a context that my daughter was killed. God, you took her from me. My life sucks. Right. And I thought, how do I reframe that? So here's what I did, Chris, real quick. I said, huh, I'm imagining my daughter, Macy, her name was Macy, walking through the gates of heaven. And my mom, who died when I was in high school, so the only parent I had was dead in high school, when I was in high school. My mom's sitting up on a chair and saying to Macy, hey, Macy, climb up on grandma's lap because I got some stories to tell you about your daddy. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Oh. Love it. And then I thought, Macy is the first grandchild fathered by me that my mom gets to hold. Mm. That was Dude. that was life changing for me because now I can imagine my mom holding her first grandchild fathered by me. Um, and it's because of this event that happened that allows her to be in that place. But here's the thing. And I think a lot of times when we speak affirmations, we have to really back them up. So I said, okay. Oh, yeah. I believe my mom's sitting there. I believe Macy climbs up on her lap. Now, what are two or three stories that I know my mom would tell her? Mm -hmm. And I would recount those stories. And anytime I would get to that point in my day where you're having those tough days and you're frustrated right. and you start to missing my daughter and all of that stuff, I would literally just go, okay, time out. What are those stories that my mom's telling my daughter right now? And I would literally walk through those stories. And at the end, I would get up and I would go do something for someone else. I think it's one thing to take the time and acknowledge where you're at. I think it's another thing to reframe that. And then I think it's another thing to go do something for someone else. Because when you take your eyes off yourself, you begin to feel better. It's typically when we're taking our, our putting our eyes on ourselves that we start to feel less than or worse than or anything else. And so going out and doing something, picking up trash or picking up, a you know, going to the grocery store and helping somebody load their car. Uh, taking the trash cans in for a neighbor, anything that will allow me to do that, to put myself in a better place. And so once I do that, 
then we can go do something else about it. But unfortunately, we're normally operating from the things that have been dealt to us and we operate from that negative space. Right. Um, and so what I, I have another process that I teach people on that is make a list of every characteristic and behavior. Uh, and guys, if you're watching and listening to this recorded live, make a list of every characteristic and behavior that's your absolute best version of you. Not the less than, not a, but the best version. So like best version of me, positive, encouraging, loving, passionate, kind, generous, gentle, forgiving, all these characteristics and behaviors. I have those on a list. I made a list of over 50 and then I made a list of over a hundred by the time I got done with them. And here's the bottom line. Anytime I'm going to go through a decision, anytime I'm going to have to hop on a telephone call like this, every time I'm going to have a difficult conversation with an employee or with a client or with a, a friend or a, a loved one, anytime I'm going to have a difficult conversation, I'm going to go through that list first and I'm going to say, okay, now how would that person handle this situation? Because otherwise I will handle this situation based on my feelings and emotions and I haven't put them in check yet. So they're going to be wrong. Ladies and gentlemen, mic drop. Mike drop. Yes, yes, yes. I got Darlene in the house. She's saying hell yes to what yeah. Bob's saying. Absolutely. Darlene. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's so beautiful. Darlene says love John Maxwell. Amen. Uh, Robert saying beautiful. Amen. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, uh, geez, you just said a couple of things. Um, let me think about which, which way I want to go with this. Um, what you were talking about is you is truly mastering your inner game. What everything you were just saying, you took responsibility to proactively, not reactively to proactively find tools and resources to be able to get through those particular moments. Mm -hmm. And I think about another book that I wrote that I read, not wrote, um, owning the day by Aubrey Marcus. It was something about how to own the day. And I thought when I first heard him talking about the book, I'm like, owning the day, that's not a big deal. I want to own the week. I want to own the year. I want to own my life. And one day, what's fucking one day. I don't give a shit about that. And I read the book and I was like, Ooh, 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 ooh. And that's when I started waking up in the morning with gratitude because what you were talking about, that is so paramount. And I talk about this all the time. When you're having a bad day or whatever, go do something nice for somebody else because that act in and of itself is a vibrational frequency changer. And you start realizing the abundance that we truly have when you go give somebody or you do something for somebody else, you help somebody with their groceries, they're old, they're elderly, you realize that you know they, they can't do that anymore. You're able to, to facilitate that and give what it is you have of yourself to them. Man, that's one of the greatest gifts on earth. Amen. The other part, the other part, you oh, go ahead. No, amen. I agree. hundred percent. The other part you were talking about is the internal dialogue. And that's one thing I definitely wanted to talk to you about. You know, the worst enemy in most of our lives is the enemy in between our, our ears. You know, when the lights are off and all the, all the good stuff is off the conversation that is going on in here, I've seen so many successful people, you know, and the other part we're talking about tonight is vulnerability. That's the other word that keeps popping out in my brain is because we're vulnerable and we're, we we're happy to be vulnerable because that's where the strength and the, and the courage and the, and the work to be able to resolve that comes from is, is that vulnerability, that, that truthfulness. Talk to us about the, the inner dialogue, the language that we use, the words that we choose to use with that internal dialogue. Um, talk to us about the importance of that, because I know for me, the two words that I, that I tell people not to use is always and never. Mm -hmm. Like I always do this or I never do this or you always do this. And I never, you know, that's such a, a such an absolute, those both words are such absolutes, but yet we, we use those, that, that type of language on ourselves and the internal dialogue that can tend to screw us up. Talk to us about how we can shift that, that conversation that's going on between our ears to be more constructive. Yeah. In mastering your inner game, um, one of the chapters, one of the pillars is mastering your language, mastering that dialogue, internal and external. Um, and, and for me, 
it begins with you have to meet the emotional level of what you're about to deal with, um, with that language. So for example, if I just wake up and say, oh, I'm having a tough day. And then I spill coffee on my shirt and I go, it's going to be one of those days. I've discounted the whole day because yeah. of one single act. Right. Um, but yet if I just go, well, gosh, darn it. No, it's, it's not going to be one of those days. It's probably going to turn out to be one of those days because the emotion is that, it started off with a really bad thing. Then my shirt is now a mess. I'm not, I have, I'm late for work or whatever it is. And the emotion of that um, has to be met with a level of emotion or greater um, to over, to overcome it. And so one of the things I've, I've developed is this level of emotional um, currency that has to be uh, at the same level or greater to meet uh, and, and to beat the emotional drain. Um, so for example, if I say I, I wake up, I spill, sh- I spill coffee on my shirt or whatever else, rather than just going, Oh gosh, darn it. I'm going to, it's, it's just, I'm going to have to overcome it. I'm going to go, Hey, Bob, pull your head out. You know, you know, better than this. You've gone through many, many days where they started off bad and ended up one of the best days of your flipping life. So right. shell up, put it in your big pants and go get your job done. Why do I speak to myself that way? Because that emotional currency trumps out everything else that I was feeling. Our feeling about something, we go thought, feeling, or thought, um, and then feeling and action and result. Uh, If we don't master the the immediate thought, we'll have a a, a counterproductive feeling. That feeling will lead to limited actions, and we'll get limited results. And then we'll go, see, I knew I was going to have one of those days. So I, I think we've just got to get to the point where can we master the art of meeting the, the challenges in our life with a level of intensity, the same or preferably even greater than so that we can overcome any obstacles. Look, we've all been through stuff and, um, and we've all managed to be where we're at today, even through the stuff we've been. And so the bottom line is we know we can do it. Now we just got to say, how do I do it today? How do I do it in this moment? driving to work, your car accident, you know, car accident, whatever. How do I do it now? Right now, how do I do it? And we've got to have that inner game that says, I'm going to speak to myself the way that I know is going to be productive, not counterproductive. Counterproductive might be like, gosh, golly, I'm just going to make things better. And yet inside, physiologically, our body's going, no, life is terrible right now. And we think, oh, just because we're speaking words of affirmation, it's going to change it. No, we have to meet it with the same level of intensity of emotional currency. Ooh, that is awesome. That is awesome. Uh, Darlene says here, she says, I want to go back and do a replay. This is fire. Thank you, Bob and Christopher. Thank you, Thank you Bob. Um, what you're talking about for me, when I, when I, when I hear what you're saying, Bob, um, I totally get it because I was the same way. It was like the, the reticular activation system. You know, if you sit there and focus, oh, today's going to be a bad day. Like now your focus becomes hyper aware. Oh, now the guy cuts you off. See, yeah. it's a bad day. Now, so-and-so. So you sit there and you, you have this self-fulfilling prophecy of everything's bad. How I counteracted that is part of what, what I read in that book, uh, How to Own the Day, was starting my day off with gratitude. So before my eyes even open, mm-hmm. every single day, God is my witness. I'm thankful. I say what I'm grateful for. And it, it's always different. It's a lot of it the, the same things at the beginning. But then I always think, okay, what is creatively today that I'm so grateful for? So I started that off and that would help me like start the day with gratitude. Okay. I'm grateful that I get to go to work. I'm grateful. Oh, my car broke down. I'm grateful. I have a car. 
The right. next part that really got me was being intentional. Like, so yeah. now I do my gratitudes and then before my eyes open, I say what my intentions are for the day. So I'll rattle off five to 10 intentions. My intention is, is to be present and playful with my son. My intention is to use my words and my actions to make the world a better place. Mm. And so that intentionality, if something negative or, or, or bad happens, I sit there, or if, I, if, my, if my focus becomes negative or I start like, oh, damn, today sucks or I'm not feeling it, then I go back to, Chris, did you set the intention to have this feeling today? Did you set the intention to be in this mood today? No. Okay. What, what, would, what, would, need, what would you need to do to change that? And then I go back to gratitude. So I'll, then I'll just find what I'm grateful for in those moments. I'll remind myself what my legacy is, which is the eulogy that I wrote back when uh, in 2008 that says, Christopher Roush will have fought for what was right and what was fair. He will have risked for which that mattered and he will have left the earth a better place for who he was and what he did. That, that two minutes will recenter me in such a way that I can't even explain, Bob. I literally, I'm like, okay, I'm just going to start doing this. And it does. It's like, where did that negative thought go? It's like, and then I, then I, then the other thing I do is, um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with uh, Michael Singer. He wrote um, The Surrender Experiment and um, yeah, two amazing, The Surrender Experiment and The Untethered Soul, two amazing books. And he talks about the fact that we sit in the seat, we can sit in the seat of the, the observer in life and go like, we think all the negative thoughts are in our brain, right? So, oh, oh my God, da, da, da. and he talks about taking the seat of the observer and going, well, that's really interesting. And he says, just say, that's a really interesting thought. I don't see how that serves. And then you move forward. Yeah. Um, it's been absolutely amazing for me and being able to move forward because that intentionality, we don't wake up intentionally to go, wow, I'm going to have a shitty day or I'm going to be an asshole. Right. We stop ourselves and go, hey, is this getting me closer to or further from my stated goals? And we answer ourselves, honestly, we shift that perspective to gratitude. Then we can march on and be able to um, to have a, what I call a kick-ass day. Mm, amen. Yeah. So well said. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We've already been talking, dude, already for 50 minutes. I knew I was like thinking, man, we should do like a two hour show. <laughs> um, so my, my, I guess one of my last questions for you is because I am the no excuses coach. And I did that intentionally. Like we were talking about, you know, boundaries. I want people to know what they're going to get when they work with me. I don't want to deal with anybody who's like, well, Chris, this and that, now, you know, I'm tired and blah, blah. fuck that. You know, if you want it bad enough, let's go. Let's, if you I, want a game, let's go. And Sally taught me that. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, Sally, she fucking, she wouldn't put up with any of my shit. She's like, fuck mate. You're a, you're in victim mode. You're in, you're in survivor status. And I'm like, oh, okay, right. okay, good, good. Yeah. What are, what are some of the common excuses that you hear from your clients and what are some recommendations that you have for them to overcome them? So people say I'm tired or I don't have enough money or I don't have enough time, whatever the common excuses that you hear, what are some of those and how do you help your clients overcome those excuses or think differently about them? You know, I, I think one of the one of the most common are the ones you just mentioned. I don't have enough time. I don't have enough money. Uh, I don't know how. All of those all of those are great excuses. Um, if you want to use an excuse, um, I think there's there's two things. One, we can look for an excuse, or we can look for a reason. You know, two women growing up in Chicago, being abused in their families, everything downtrodden, life is throwing them everything. Um, one goes and lives. Uh, under a bridge and becomes a drug addict and dies of an overdose and one becomes Oprah Winfrey. What's the difference? One said, because I went through that, that's why I'm a drug addict. That's why I live under a bridge. And the other one says, because of that, I refuse to live that life again. Um, one, one excuse for his reason. So one, I help him realize, you know, what's, what's the excuse you're using? And then what would be a reason that you could pick and work on? Because I think the reason will trump the excuse anytime if you're willing to focus on it, like you said earlier, uh, I think that's the, that's the beginning point, but I'm, I'm like you in the sense that 
I'm an interventionist. So I really don't care whether they like me. As a matter of fact, I'll tell most of my coaching clients, you're going to hate me. You are going to probably call me all kinds of names. You're going to want to fire me. Um, that's why I collect the money up front. And it's a, it's a contract. Um, I don't care whether you fire me or not. You're not getting your money back. And the, you think, well, why do you do that? Because I want them to feel committed. Sometimes we think we're committed when we're really not. One of the, the next level pillar for, um, for mastering your game, the first one is committed. What does committed look like? What does it feel like? So when I'm starting to talk to a coaching client or when I'm talking to anybody, professional athlete or otherwise, I would say, what does commitment look like to you? Yeah, I'll, give you I'll, I'll give you a brief story for commitment. Commitment looks like to me, if I'm not careful, it looks like when it's convenient. Yeah. Oh. When it looks like to me, when I'm getting the results I want is um, commitment looks like this. My mom was dying of cancer when I was in high school. My mom, when I was 17 years old, about three months before she passed, was sitting out on the porch in the middle of the night after I had given her her morphine shots, because I was giving her morphine shots during, during the night, Ooh. sitting out on the porch crying. And I remember thinking, why is she crying? So I walked up and I said, mom, are, are, you, are you okay? She goes, yeah. And I said, um, are, are you in pain? Do you need morphine? She says, no, no, I'm fine. I said, are you afraid of dying? She goes, Bobby, I know where I'm going. I'm not afraid of dying. I said, then what are you crying about? She goes, I'm afraid that I'm not going to be here to see you graduate from high school. Oh, dude. I'm like, your hair's falling out. You're bloated. You're in pain. And your biggest fear is whether I'm going to have you around for me to see you for high school. Mm. And I remember thinking that's commitment. Yeah. And so whenever I have a thing where I say, yeah, I'm committed to making those sales calls. I'm committed to starting that business. I'm committed to helping and reaching out and loving somebody, even when they're not being loving back. I'm committed to that. Then I have to say, well, which version of commitment does that look like? Is it the one that's convenient or is it the one that says no matter what? And yeah. I think when we can start looking at level of commitment first and what commitment looks like, feels like, tastes like to us, then we've got the first step in that foundation that will support the longer actions that are going to be required to get that result that we desire dude mic drop boom mic drop i love that bob that's one of the things i've been doing with people probably the last year especially in just any conversation is when somebody says oh that's hard i just stop them like describe to me what hard is yeah let's identify what hard is and what i find out when people sit there and we dive into the the definition of whatever word they're using i find out that 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 their definition is, is skewed I'm like, so what's hard? What is it? I'm not a morning person. Okay. Let's talk about that. What makes you not a morning person? What, right. what is it that, the, well, I just have trouble getting up. I'm like, but do you, you get up, right? Like if, if you set the alarm at five o'clock and you got up and you stood up, you would get up. Right. Yeah. Right. Okay. So what is it? We ultimately find out it's a choice. I'm yeah. like, you're making a choice not to be a morning person. You have ingrained that in your psychology, your physiology. So of course, when the bell goes off at five, I'm not a morning person. Your immediate rote autopilot conditioning process goes into play. Mel Robbins talks about it in the five, four, three, two, one. She goes, you have five seconds to realize that your brain is trying to keep you safe and comfortable and you got to fuck off brain. Nope. I'm going to, I'm about getting this stuff. Out. I'm going to get up and I'm going to start moving. Um, yeah. I love that. Yeah. I love that. Where can um, we, I could talk to you forever. I know that. Um, where can, uh, where can people get a hold of you, Bob, to continue yeah. the conversation? I've got, uh, I've got some of your, uh, your links up here. I know that, uh, they can get a hold of you. Um, yeah, everything is my website. You can go there and definitely do that. Here's, here's one thing I would encourage. 
Um, I, anybody that wants to just connect a little bit deeper where we just have a conversation like one-on-one, -on -one, um, if you will text raw, R-A-W, if you'll text raw to 949. Hang on, hang on. I'm going I'm to put this in the comments. Text raw to 949-229-8016. It will send you a link to set up and we can take 15, 20 minutes and just kind of go through maybe one of the pillars for Mastering Inner Game. I'll read them to you and you tell me which one applies the most to you for right now, what's going on. And I'll walk you through 15, 20 minutes of how to uh, master that part of the inner game. And, uh, and I think that's the best way I can be of value to you. And then from there, you know, we can decide if there's anything else that you want to work on, anything. Um, but, you know, you've got a great coach in Chris. And I know the one thing I love about Christopher is that he's no nonsense and he's not going to put up your bullshit anyways. Um, and because I won't either. Um, you know, I, I think one of the cool things is that you can have – uh, you can have multiple people speaking into your life uh, to help you in those times when maybe one um, is is maybe in the in the point where we're not listening. Um, I've got people in my life that I don't listen to. Yes, as a coach, I've got people in my life that I don't listen to, and you do too. And so oh, yeah. I, I just want to say that I want to be a resource for you. Uh, and if you just text me, man, we're gonna we're gonna spend 15, 20 minutes going through one of the chapters that can really help you. And then, uh, you know, but you've, you've got Chris. Um, he's, he's a great guy. He's a great person that can actually help you worth all the bullshit that you're going through. Um, and I just want to be an added resource, not a replacement. You are awesome. You're awesome. For those guys listening on the podcast again, text raw R A W to nine, four, nine, two, two, nine, eight, zero, one, six. Do it, ladies and gentlemen. Do it. Do it. Um, absolutely. Um, and also, people can get a hold of you. Uh, obviously, everything next level. They can get a hold of you on uh, IG. Everything else. Oops. Uh, IG uh, at the Bob Donnell. Yep. T H E B O B D O N N E L L. For those of you guys listening on the podcast, again, Instagram is the Bob Donnell. And then also, they can email you Bob at everythingnextlevel.com. Correct. There you go. Perfect. Awesome, brother. I'm going to place you backstage. This has been tremendous, tremendous. Um, I want to actually, I want, I want to do this final thoughts from you. What, what from this conversation would you like to encapsulate for the viewers and the listeners tonight? And then uh, we'll send them on their way. I think the biggest thing goes back to something we've already touched. And that is surround yourself with people who will make you better. Even if it's not popular with you at the time, I have people in my life that speak into me, whether I like it or not. And I've just learned to accept it. I've learned to believe that they have my best interest at, in, in, at hand and um, surround yourself with those people. Uh, you know, I have everything uh, next level by association, which is a community that's an online community. I have people that are, are part of that, that are from every walk of life. I have guests of honors from every walk of life, people that, you know, Chris and I know really well. Uh, and the bottom line is we have to put ourselves in a place where those, those people can, you know, um, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. We've got to be in a place where we can be the sharpening tool for others and let them sharpen us as well. Ladies and gentlemen, Bob Donnell, dude, thank you so much for being here. I'm going to place you backstage. I'm going to end out the show, but don't go anywhere. So I want to just still have a moment of your time, but thank you. Thank you, brother. I All appreciate right. you. Um, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen.
The Ron and Scripted Show. Once again, 58 minutes. I told you guys I would always get it done under an hour. Sometimes I try to get a little bit done uh, before then, but I just want to say thank you so much for you guys being here. I know it's a little bit weird. Normally on Facebook, we have a lot more people. I'm thankful for you guys coming over here on YouTube while the Facebook stuff gets uh, gets uh, fixed. But Jacqueline says here, I'm a people pleaser, pushover, doormat, codependent, to name a few. Jacqueline, you were. You were. You're not. You're not are. You were. You were make that a, make that a clear distinction. Set some boundaries, like Bob said. Text them, do that. Text them and talk to them about that particular boundary. Talk to talk to them about that that particular pillar, um, because as you reach out, ladies and gentlemen, you have these conversations. What you're doing is you're telling God, Source, the Universe, whatever it is that you believe in, I'm ready. But if you sit there and keep it all inside your brain, ladies and gentlemen, I have one question for you. How's that working for you? How's that working for you, huh? Have you spent the last two years being comfortably miserable? Have you spent the large majority of your life playing the someday game? Oh, someday when the kids are out, someday when my husband dies, someday when I do this, someday, then all, then all, then all. Ladies and gentlemen, pick up a calendar and show me where someday is. Show me where someday is. Time is ticking. Time is ticking. Life is passing by us faster than ever. We have an opportunity to become aware. First one, become aware. And then we have to accept responsibility. I call it the AAA. We have to become aware. We have to accept responsibility. And then what do we have to do? What's that third one, boys and girls? Action. We have to take action. But so many of us sit there and do this in our head and da, 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 da. What are we doing? We're afraid. We're afraid of taking that risk. We're afraid of pissing somebody off. We're afraid of offending from somebody. We're afraid of failing. We're afraid of this. We live in fear. And then what happens? We wind up in our 70s, 60s, 70s, 80s. And we look down at our hands and we realize that we're old. And we realize our life has passed us by. And we have what? Regrets. My intention, every single time I come on these shows, Clubhouse, whatever it might be, using my voice, using my passion, my platform to help you guys is the fact that today is your day. Today can be your day. Rewire the, the language that you're using on yourself internally. Give yourself some opportunities, but you have to reach out. You have to reach out and start that discussion with people because when you do, God's source universe says, hey, you actually are ready because you had you did take that action. So I highly recommend connect with Bob. He's an amazing individual. He's got a lot of experience. He's had a, a, a tremendous amount of success um, dealing with upper level people with high limit problems. And uh, I'm certain he can help you as well. So please connect with him. Um, I just absolutely appreciate and adore you guys. Lucy's here. She says, awesome show. Lucy's coming over from Facebook. Whoa, wait a minute, Lucy, are you on Facebook? Please tell me you're on, if you're on Facebook, that's awesome. I didn't realize because we got the little Facebook logo up there. Uh, wait a minute. Darlene's from Facebook too. Maybe I'm not in Facebook jail anymore. <gasps> Yay. That's a fucking miserable situation, by the way, ladies and gentlemen. Don't get hacked and don't have them post pictures of ISIS on your Facebook profile. Or you could get actually deleted. Darlene's here. It is from Facebook. Yay. You guys are all awesome. Uh, Jacqueline, Robert, uh, you guys are Darlene, um, Julie, Lee. You guys are all just amazing. Zoe. Um, Lauren, thank you, brother, for being here. All you guys are just amazing, amazing individuals. If you guys, we got Andrew in the house now. Um, Andrew's in the house. He's coming over Facebook. Look, Facebook is working. I wish it would have worked before, but uh, hey, listen, ladies and gentlemen, uh, I just appreciate you. Whatever it is I could personally do in your life to help you get to that next level, please reach out to me as well. You have a community. This isn't about creating a coaching client. This is about all of us banding together and using our natural talents and our gifts to lift one another up. Please, I have a five-year-old son that I truly, truly, truly want to leave this world in a much better place than what it was when I got here and especially the way it is right now. And together, all of us can do that. How can we do that? By talking about 
what's going on in the world by having those conversations, by getting with people who have difference of opinions with you and saying, hey, can you tell me more about that? Tell me about your life. Tell me about your experiences because I assure you that based on what Bob and I talked about tonight, that when you walk in somebody else's shoes, you have empathy and understanding. You can say, hey, listen, you know, if I grew up in upper upper Michigan in Detroit for my entire life, might I have a different opinion than the guy who grew up in Southern California in the laid back society? Of course, there's no right or wrong. It's an opportunity for us to learn and grow together and to, to demonstrate to our youth, the kids that are struggling right now with all of us adults and our fucking spastic bullshit, we have, an, we have an opportunity to set the example for how they can see and do and respond in their life so that we don't have this mess. You know, the world is big enough for all of us to have anything that we want and all the greed and all the egos and all the other bullshit that's going on in the world is nonsense. So I ask you, please go out in your communities, go to your families, have those conversations, find ways to build bridges, not burn them. And I promise you, your life will be so much better, so much more fulfilled, so much inner peace. Um, I can't thank you enough for, for knowing, um, this to be true because it's been true for my life. I've had, I've, I've, I've had my share of ups and downs. I've had my share of, of challenge relationships, but I can honestly say where I'm at today at 53 years old, I'm super proud of myself. I'm super confident. I know I have a lot more growth to go, but I'm excited about those opportunities. I'm excited about uncovering what's next in my brain that I need to overcome or deal with. Um, so I'm excited about that and I'm a student for life. So, uh, whatever I could do to support you guys. I appreciate you go out there and be brilliant. Go out there and have an amazing night, an amazing week. We'll see you on the unfiltered experience on Friday night, 5 PM Pacific standard time. You know where to find me. I love you guys. And we'll see you next time on the Ron and scripted show. I'm Christopher.